You are listening to Chthonia, the podcast of the Dark Feminine. Chthonia's logo was designed by J.R. Malpair. Background music is Phantasm by Kevin McLeod. Hello, and welcome to Chthonia, the podcast of the Dark Feminine. I'm your host, Breach Burke, and this week um, we are now moving into the list of Mahavidyas who, while we, even though we talk about the dark feminine and dark goddesses associated, um, you know, with the underworld and so forth, um, the last three that we're working from in the Mahavidyas tend to have more beneficent or benign aspects. Um, they, they represent things that are very, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, they rep, they represent, um, sorry, I'm just looking for the volume on this thing here because I want to, I want to turn it off while I'm doing this. Um, they, you know, they're they're not they're not these they're not um, necessarily the you know have these these very scary um, you know blood sacrifice um, you know heads of skull you know necklaces of skulls and and so forth you know we're not seeing that in these these last um, few. Nonetheless, they're still very very important to this idea of this very very potent and powerful feminine and part of what. Um, tends to frighten people if, about the feminine. Um, I mean, these goddesses are generally, they, they're, they're much more accepted, a lot of them, or at least uh, the one we're going to talk about today, certainly in traditional Hinduism. Um, but they're not, um, you know, but, you know, so they're, they're more approachable, let's put it that way, um, compared to some of the others. Nonetheless, the fact that they are these um, manifestations of, um, you know, Parvati, you know, the, this, the, or Shakti, this sort of, um, supreme reality can still make them a very um, potent and dangerous force. So today the goddess we're going to talk about is Tripura Sundari, okay, sometimes known as, I mean, she actually has a number of names that all refer back to her. Uh, There's Lalita or Lalita Tripura Sundari, Um, there's Rajay Rajeshwari, and another one is Sodashi, and also Kameshwari. These are all names that refer back to this same goddess. And um, another thing that you're going to notice, especially when I talk about uh, Bhuvaneshwari, is that she and Lalita seem, you know, even though Lalita and Bhuvaneshwari are not the same deity, there's uh, enough similarity between the two that, you know, you might say, well, hmm, you know, what's what's the difference? But um, but we will talk about that. Um, now, as I mentioned, if you looked in back, look, go back to my podcast um, on the intro to Tantra, uh, the second part, um, <clears throat> there is... Uh, you know, we, we talk about a lot of aspects that relate to uh, Lalita uh, Tripura Sundari, namely the Sri Chakra. Okay, actually, this might have been my third one, not my second one. I think I talked about the three Sri Chakra and the Lalita Sahasranama in the third um, intro. And um, <clears throat> we talked about the fact of her connection to the Sri Vidya cult of, uh, of Tantra, which is a very popular one, um, but also um, very mysterious in a lot of ways. And... Um, Tripura Sundari, she's at least one of the deities, because um, we'll see this also with Bhuvaneshwari, but she's identified with the Adi Parashakti. Okay, now Adi is like a prefix, A-D-I, that means primordial. Okay, so this is sort of like the, the primal movers of the universe. And Tripura Sundari, the name itself, means she who is lovely in the three worlds. The three worlds being the worlds of gold, silver, and iron. And they, <clears throat> and they represent the... Um, the spheres that uh, 
that not only that humans exist in and, you know, the world as we know it, but also the gods and um, the, the demons or the Ashuras. So Tripura Sundari is queen of the, of the three worlds, and she tends to, in, in the image of the Sri Chakra, she resides um, in the Bindu. There's actually a full description of her abode, of her city, um, which is described, uh, which I'm going to actually share with you uh, as we go through this. Now, she is listed as being in some images of her. She is shown as the supreme consciousness who rules Brahma, Vishnu, Rudra, um, which is sort of another, um, you know, seems to be associated with Shiva and Ishvara. And so <clears throat> you'll see her, them sitting, so you know, her either sitting, using them as a throne or them sitting around her throne. So she is actually above Brahma. She's above Vishnu. I mean, in terms of her, um, <clears throat> her rank or her importance. Okay, she's, she is, she is, it, they said it's almost like she's a seed and they grow out of her. So she is a very, um, a very, very powerful and very profound goddess. I found as I was trying to read and, and study the background on her, and I should note that I do the Lalita Sahasranama just about every day. I either listen to it or I recite it myself. And, <clears throat> you know, even after years of doing that and of even, you know, learning, you know, at least, you know, like I said, with a thousand names, you don't know, perfectly know what everything means. Um, you know, I know what some of the names mean. But, you know, there's, there's just this... Um, this sense of her being, you know, there's this very profound sense that comes from her um, that, you know, no, kind of like no matter what happens, you know, there's, there's that kind of foundation to rest on in the universe in spite of, you know, any, you know, cre you know, there's, there's creation, there's, you know, um, <clears throat> sort of the maintenance of civilization and then there's destruction as things move through. So she, I, I, what I find about her is that she's just um, extremely, complex in her characteristics and very powerful to approach, even if, you know, generally benevolent in her aspect. Um, <clears throat> now, the first mention of Tripura Sundari in Hindu texts is in the um, Tirumantiram, which is a 7th century text. And let me see if I have some information on that that I can share. Um, okay, yeah. Let me just move this. Um... The Tirumantiram by uh, Tirumular, who lived in the 7th century CE. By the 9th century, um, so that's the earliest reference uh, in the form of the goddess as a mantra, okay? Um, that's the other thing that we're going to be seeing at this point, is that the, these bija mantras, these seed mantras, are sort of the vibration of sound, but they are also the deity itself, okay? Which is why the recitation of the mantra is actually something that... Um, why it has the level of benefit that it has. It's not just saying a bunch of stuff, you know, random stuff over and over again. It actually, the vibration of it does actually do something to affect you or affect what's around you. Um, <clears throat> uh, Kinsley notes that, you know, he mentions uh, the Tirumantiram, and then he says, by the 9th century, the cult of Sri Vidya was mentioned in Sanskrit works, and several texts celebrating um, her, meaning Lalita Tripura Sundari, are associated to the great uh, attributed to the great philosopher from South India, uh, Shankara, which is about the year 788 to 820. Um, several texts in which Tripura Sundari is featured appeared about the same time in Kashmir, where she became a significant goddess. Um, of particular note is the Vamakeshvara Tantra, which attracted several important uh, commentaries. During the 13th and 14th centuries, the cult of Sri Vidya expanded in both Kashmir and South India, with several notable commentaries written on earlier works. As her cult eventually became popular in Bengal with certain northern variations, and now her worship and fame have spread through India. Okay. 
So that's sort of the background in terms of the texts. But even so, there's um, there's only one specific myth that's associated with her, and that's the myth of Bandasura, which I also, I did mention this myth in um, part three of the introduction, but I'll just repeat it here again because it is relevant. Um, <clears throat> now again, I'm reading from Kinsley 116. He says, the central tale in the mythology of Tripura Sundari concerns her defeat of the demon Banda. According to this myth, Shiva destroyed Kama, the god of love, when he sought to distract Shiva from his meditation. Uh, subsequently, one of Shiva's ganas, companions or followers, makes an image of a man from Kamadeva's ashes. This man then appeals to Shiva to teach him a powerful mantra, which Shiva obligingly does. By reciting the mantra, one gains uh, half the might of one's adversary. Shiva also grants the man rulership of the world for 60,000 years. Shiva praises the man with the words band, band, meaning good, good. But because he was born from Shiva's anger when he burned up Kama, he turns into a dangerous, wrathful demon. He builds a city rivaling in glory the city of the gods ruled over by Indra. When Banda attacks Indra, Indra, at the bidding of the sage Narada, calls on Tripura Sundari for help. Indra also instructs his allies to propitiate the goddess by offering her their flesh and blood with Vedic rites. Um, <clears throat> that's, which is interesting. You know, there, so there's, there is a blood sacrifice element there. Um, at the end of these rites, the goddess appears and agrees to help the gods. <clears throat> In the meantime, the 60,000 years granted to Banda to rule the world have expired. With this Indra's city still under siege, the gods arrange the marriage of Shiva and Tripura Sundari. After some time, the goddess with her female associates, or Shaktis, goes off to battle Banda and his army. We're going to talk about these Shaktis. Uh, that's going to be our next series after the Mahavidyas. Um, Tripura Sundari produces many weapons from the noose and goad that she carries in her hands. Banda is amused by the army of females and predicts that they will be as ineffective in battle as the name of their leader, leader Lalita, soft and delicate, suggests. Tripura Sundari and her army, however, turn out to be superior to Banda and his army. In the course of the battle, the two chief protagonists, Tripura Sundari and Banda, produce various beings from their bodies. Banda creates a number of demons that are well known in Hindu mythology, and Tripura Sundari counters by bringing forth a corresponding deity or avatara to defeat the demon. Banda, for example, creates uh, Hirana uh, Kashipu. Lalita, in turn, produces Pralada, who in the well-known Vaishnava myth defeats uh, Hiranya Kashipu. Uh, Banda brings forth Ravana, and Tripura Sundari creates Rama from one of her fingernails. In the course of the battle, Banda also creates Mahisashura. Now, this is the one who fights Durga in the um, um, Devi Mahatmayam. The goddess responds by producing Durga, who is ornamented with jewelry given to her by many male gods. Durga then slays Mahisashura, as she does in the famous Devi Mahatmaya. Finally, the goddess defeats Banda himself. After the battle, the gods, led by Kamadeva's wife Rati, implore Tripura Sundari to restore the god of love who Shiva destroyed. She does so, and desire is restored to the world. The gods praise her in unison. Okay, so that's sort of, we got a number of things here. Okay, um, first of all, we have, you know, if we want to look at the masculine and feminine themes. Okay, so we have Shiva, who's a male god. Um, he destroys Kama, the god of desire. Okay, now... Um, what one of the things, at least one of the things that this myth illustrates is the importance of desire in the world. Um, you need to have, uh, you, you can't function without desire in the world. There, there's not, um, there has to be, even though people talk about overcoming desire or not succumbing to desire, um, generally this has a lot to do with when desire gets out of balance. Desire is also what allows us to move forward, what allows us to, um, to take any kind of action in life. 
There has to be a desire to, to do something. It's just a question of what. And how, you know, how imbalanced that desire is perhaps with other, you know, you know, if it's an excessive desire or an addiction or an obsession, that, that can be a problem. Um, but the fact that Bandasura <clears throat> is born out of anger, and of course, Shiva, now what does he teach him? He teaches him the mantras, he, you know, he get, grants him these boons, and it's, um, and he gains power. So there's a very kind of um, negative masculine side to this. Um, and it's funny that it's almost ironic that Bond, he refers to him as Bond, which is good, you know? The good demon, you know, it's funny, the good demon, you know, and I, I think I, this is not the first time I've said that, but it's just the good demon. And <clears throat> Lalita defeats him, so he really actually is almost a force of impotence in the world, of being helpless, of not having power. And, um, and Lalita is the one who comes in and, you know, uh, removes that threat and, you know, re restores power um, and, you know, through desire and through love into the world. So she's, she's quite powerful. So here we see her in her warrior aspect. Um, and the idea that she produces all of these other very important deities through her body. Um, you know, we, we get the sense of sort of how primordial she is. Okay. So that's the myth of Bandasura. Um, I want to look sort of more carefully at each of her names um, as, as aspects to discuss here, because those are the you know, it, it's very hard. It's very hard to pin um, Lalita down to a, a set of characteristics. Um, so I would like to kind of look at the her characteristics through the different names that she has been been given. You know, and, and there's certain myths associated with certain names. Um, so okay, <clears throat> the names that I'm going to look at are Tripura Sundari, her actual name. Okay, um, Kameshwari, which is another uh, version. Uh, Sodashi. Um, which relates her to Kali, and Lalita itself. Okay, so Tripura Sundari, we'll talk about that name first. Tripura Sundari means she who's beautiful in the three worlds. Um, and it's been suggested that the Tripura comes from different aspects, because of course, tri, tri, T-R-I is, is three, right? So part of that is because her symbol is the triangle, which is a symbol of the yoni, the female genitalia, Okay. Um, it's also said that her mantra has three clusters of syllables. So the, the Tripura Sundari mantra, you know, is, is kind of in, in a meter of three. Uh, she expresses herself in the Trideva, you know, with uh, Tridevas, uh, which are uh, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. So they are all expressed through her. Uh, she's the creator, maintainer, and destroyer of the universe. There's that aspect of it. Like she's, she, she is all of those things in, within her. Um, and she's the subject, instrument, and object of all things. They, they, these are the specific things. So she is, you know, yeah, there's nothing that she isn't in a way. She's sort of manifest in everything. And of course, again, queen of the three worlds um, of gold, silver, and iron. Now, um, I have a description of her abode that she lives in. And this is sort of, this is relevant because a lot of this has to do with, um, it, it is related to the Sri Chakra and sort of the, the city of the goddess that is sort of, a, you know, contained within the center of that. Um, just getting my document open here. Uh, normally, normally I would have this open, but um, I only have my other set of notes. Okay, here we go. Um, let me just find her here. So, I have a very, <clears throat> my computer is behaving very slowly, so. Um, so I'm trying to find which is the myth that I'm looking for. <clears throat> okay. 
Um, apologies here because everything just seems to be um, going very slowly here. Um, I'm having a Microsoft Word is just the freaking out on me. Okay, here we go. Her abode is called Sri Nagara, which is a city. Um, <clears throat> Mandavipa has 25 streets circling it, is made of iron, steel, copper, and lead. An alloy made of five metals, silver, gold, the white Pushparaga stone, the red Padmaraga stone, <clears throat> onyx diamond, Vaidura, Indranila, blue sapphire, pearl, Marakata, coral, nine gems, and a mixture of gems and precious stones. In the eighth street was a forest of Kadambas. This is presided by uh, Shaimala. In 15th Street lived the Akshakti uh, Palakas. In the 16th lived Vahari, alias Dandani, who was her commander-in-chief. Here, Shaimala also had a house. In the 17th Street lived the different yoginis. In the 18th Street lived Mahavishnu. In the 19th Street lived Ishana, the 20th, in the 20th Tara Devi. 21st Varuni, the 22nd Kurukula, who presides over the Fort of Pride. 23rd uh, Martanda Berva, 24th Chandra, and 25th Manmata providing over the forest of love. Okay, so now they describe the center of the city. In the center of Nagara is the Mahapadmavana, the great lotus forest, and within it the Chintmani Griha, the house of holy thought. In the northeast is the Chid Agni Kunda, and on both sides of its eastern gates are the houses of Mantrini and Dandini. On its four gates stand the Chaturmanya gods for watch and ward. Within it is the chakra. In the center of the chakra, on the throat of Pancha Brahmas, on the Bindu Pita, uh, the dot plank, which is the dot, the center, called the Sarvananda Maya, <clears throat> or universal happiness, sits Maha Tripura Sundari. In the chakra the, are the following decorations. Uh, the square called Triloka Mohanam, the most beautiful in the three worlds. The 16-petaled lotus called Sarvasha Paripurakam, fulfiller of all desires. The 8-petaled lotus called <clears throat> Sarvasam Chopanam, the all-cleanser, the 14-cornered figure called Sarva Sabugyam, or luck, the external 10-cornered figure called Sarvata Sadakam, giver of all assets, the internal 10-cornered figure called Sarvarakshakaram, the all-protector, the 8-cornered figure called Sarvarogaharam, curer of all diseases, and the triangle called Sarvasiddhipradam, giver of all powers, and the dot called the Sarvanandamayam. Okay, <clears throat> so... We have all of this geometry that we're, we're talking about here, all these figures of these different um, sizes and shapes. That ought to give people who are interested in sort of the mathematical aspects of um, the universe uh, something to think about. And I'm sure, you know, I am not a mathematician, so I'm not going to focus on that aspect. But um, <clears throat> there's probably something to think about there that could be related to, um, you know, figures related to the, the universe itself or the distance between... Um, you know, parts of the universe or maybe having to even do with something on the quantum level. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not an expert in that, but I have, I, it see, I seem to vaguely recall that, um, the geometry that's mentioned in these is actually something that's been studied and it has some kind of a correlation. So, um, that might be worth, um, worth researching. Um, okay. So I have, um, one more note here to, on the, on the subject of Tripura Sundari that I want to read. Okay. <clears throat> 
Yes, this is from David Kinsley. The name Tripura Sundari, whose most obvious and apparent meaning is she who is beautiful in the three worlds, typically prompts speculation concerning various triads known to Hindu philosophy, mythology, and sadhana, which is spiritual practice. In the process of associating Tripura Sundari with these triads, the texts often imply that she is identical with the ultimate, essential, or complete reality in one way or another. The Kalika Purana gives several interpretations in this vein. She is called Tripura, the texts say, because she is identical with the triangle. It symbolizes the yoni and it forms her chakra. The <clears throat> triangle in the Sri Vidya cult, as we shall see, is a primordial form from which creation proceeds and is clearly related to the generative power of the yoni, um, which makes sense because if she's the one who brings desire into the world, you might want to think of the, if, uh, if you're familiar with Greek mythology and the story that Hesiod tells of the um, creation of the universe, um, there, are the de- there are four or five deities that are present um, at the creation of the universe that come out of chaos. You know, there's there's night, um, there's Erebus or gloom, um, <clears throat> there's uh, there's Gaia, the, um, there's, you know, the, the earth goddess, and then there's um, Tartarus, the, the deep darkness, and there's also Eros. Now, this is not the same Eros as who is the son of Aphrodite, you know, the little, you know, or Cupid. He's not, he's not that Eros. You know, that would be more identical to Kama. This is, a, this is the more primordial Eros, and so um, you might think about that in terms of this um, Lalita would be connected with that primordial Eros, because because obviously in order to create and take something out of nothing, you have to you have to have a creative force, and that desire is the creative force. You know, sexual desire is is the force you know that creates. So, <clears throat> um, you know, so that you know, so her association with that does make a lot of sense. That's that's the drive that forms the universe. Um, um, her, uh, and of course, when they talk about it, uh, association with her mantras, it says Tripura is identified with the alphabet from which all sounds and words proceed, and which often understood to occupy a primordial place in tantric cosmology. This is also like um, uh, Judaism as well, particularly Orthodox Judaism, with the Hebrew alphabet and its positionings in the Torah. You know, you don't change the Torah by one letter because. Um, if, if you read the Kabbalistic text, the Sefer Yetzirah, the Sefer Yetzirah talks about um, the Greek alphabet as representing, as the sounds in the, of that representing the firmament of the universe. So this is a kind of a similar idea in that the um, Sanskrit, uh, the sounds of the Sanskrit alphabet um, are somehow fundamental to creation and, uh, you know, and, and the support of the universe. Um, <clears throat> she is threefold, furthermore, because, okay, she expressed herself in Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. Now, um, <clears throat> we did talk about that already. Um, now, the Kamakala uh, Vilasha uh, speculates that Tripura Sundari is triple-faceted because she represents three kinds of colors of Bindu, uh, red, white, and mixed. Um, it may refer to the sexual fluids, red being female, white semen, and mixed the union of the two. The meaning here is that the goddess represents both of the sexual polarities in the universe and their ultimate union. Um, and the same text says that she is triadic because she has her abode in Soma, Surya, and Agni, that is the moon, the sun, and the fire. She is thus all-pervasive and all-inclusive as light and fire. That's one thing we notice here is that all of these um, Mahavidyas seem to have an association with fire and, or, or energy in some form or another. Um, and it says she... Um, is also identified with three principal goddess pitas or sacred centers, Kamarupa, uh, Jalandara, and uh, Punagiri. Um, triple natured also because she embodies the three principles of Icha Shakti, Yana Shakti, and Kriya Shakti, which are will, consciousness, and, uh, and action. Okay. Um, 
and um, let's see, making the name right, but um, Bashakararai, uh, oh, I can't say his name now. Um, Baskararaya, uh, I think I'm not, I may be saying his name wrong, said that the goddess called Tripura Sundari <clears throat> because she is older than the three persons, Brahma, Vishnu, in this case, Rudra. Rudra. Uh, he also says that the goddess is triple-natured because she's identified with the three main channels of the subtle body, and in Kundalini Yoga, that represents cosmic totality. Uh, he further comments that on the nature of the triple goddess, there are three devas, three vedas, three fires, three energies, three notes, uh, three worlds, three abodes, three sacred lakes, and three castes. Whatever in the world is threefold, such as the three objects of human desire, all these, O Divine One, belong to your name. Okay. So that's that's um, on Tripura Sundari um, as a name. And, uh, you know, so, like, as I say, you know, we have this, you know, this, this kind of defines the world um, in terms of the threes. And she, you know, she, she's, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of story about her, probably because it's very difficult to anthropomorphize someone like her. I mean, there are images of the Lita Tripura Sundari, obviously, um, that you can, uh, that you see. But um, it seems like she's embodied more in sounds than she is in images. Like that the bindu itself and the sounds associated with her more accurately represent her nature than any kind of an image. So she's really a force that's sort of beyond images, even though, again, there is an image that we have of her. Okay. Um, let me talk about her as Kameshwari. Um, she's the, okay, so there's the, um, this has to do with the demon um, Taraksura. And let me find that in my thing here. Okay. Here's, so here's this story. The devas faced an enemy in Tarakshura who had a boon that he could be killed only by a son of Shiva and Parvati. So this is, you're going to find actually, by the way, that there's some similarities between this and the Bandasura ones. And I, and I wonder if they're just, you know, different versions of the same one, but okay. So for the purpose of begetting a son from Shiva and Parvati, the devas deputed Manmata, the god of love. Okay, this is Manmata instead of Kama. Manmata shot his flower arrows to Shiva and Parvati in order to induce love feelings in them. Okay, so this is a little different, because in some versions, it's they're trying to get Shiva and Parvati to get married, you know. And in this case, they're together. Uh, in anger for being tricked, Shiva opened his third eye, which reduced the god of love to ashes. The devas and Rati Deva, the wife of, wife of Manmata, so see, Rati, yeah, she's usually the, the wife of Kama, so now he's just called Manmata, requested Shiva give life to Manmata. Heeding their request, Shiva stared at the ashes of Manmata. From the ashes came Bandasura, okay? And then now we have that story again. And uh, so in this particular version, it says, the devas sought the advice of sage Narada and the Trimurti, who advised them to see the help, seek, the, seek the help of Nirguna Brahman, the ultimate godhead, which is unmanifested uh, Satchit Ananda, um, existence, consciousness, bliss. Nirguna Brahman um, divided itself into the male, Mahashambhu, and the female, Adi Parashakti who were unmanifest and beyond the manifest, and appeared before him. Mahashambhu and Adi Parashakti agreed to take the form of Maha Kameshwara and Kameshwari Tripura Sundari, respectively. So there's Kameshwari, for the benefit of the universe. For this, a great sacrifice was made where the entire creation, the manifest universe, was offered as the oblation, and from the fire rose Kameshwara Tripura Sundari and Kameshwara. Tripura Sundari and Kameshwara recreated the entire universe as it was before. 
Um, and they recreated Brahma and Saraswati, Vishnu and Lakshmi, and all the other devas. So in other words, they after this impotence comes in with Bandasura, they they basically they hit, basically hit the reset button. They burn everything up as a sacrifice and they start over. Um, <clears throat> so they create all the devas. Also, as Vishnu helped Parvati attain Shiva, uh, get in other words, in other words, getting Tripura Sundari to marry Kameshwara um, in their in those forms, Vishnu subsequently became known as the brother of Parvati. So. Um, Okay, so in this case, we we see again an identification of Lalita Tripura Sundari with Parvati, and again, if we think of the original myth of the Mahavidyas as the ten manifestations of either Shakti or Parvati, um, then you uh, you know then you see this um, you know you see the connection there. You see how you know she ends up being connected, and you know Parvati becomes connected to all of these other um, deities in this fashion. Okay, so again, Kameshvari is the same thing, and and ka, again, Kameshvari root is Kama, desire. So this is the, this is probably the same story, another version of the same story, but only she is referred to now as Kameshvari Tripura Sundari rather than um, uh, just simply Tripura Sundari or Lalita. And speaking of Lalita, Lalita um, is sort of lovely, soft, delicate. Um, and um, Kinsley says on it, uh, she who is lovely, the lovely one. And it's said to also have a universal cosmological or mystical significance. Um, it's also said the wise say the word Lalita has eight meanings, namely brilliancy, manifestation, sweetness, depth, fixity, energy, grace, and generosity. These are the eight human qualities, at least the better ones, right? The Kamasastra says Lalita means erotic actions and also tenderness. She has, <clears throat> As she has all the above-mentioned qualities, she is called Lalita. It is also said thou art rightly called Lalita, for thou hast nine divine attendants in the Sri Chakra, um, and your bow is made of sugar cane, and your arrows are, arrows are flowers, and everything connected with you is lovely. Okay, so yes, we have Lalita as lovely, but I have also been told that Lalita ha- it comes it has a relationship to the word Lila. And Lila in uh, Sanskrit means play or trick. Okay, so for example... Um, when I used to go to my guru's programs, stuff would go, you know, we, we would go place, you know, we would, we would be following in our routine that we were going to do and stuff would be going wrong left and right. You know, you know, <clears throat> stuff would break down, the people who were supposed to be there didn't show up, you know, we'd, we'd order some, like one variety of something and, you know, like we used to do the flowers and we'd order one variety of flowers and then the wrong ones would come. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, my friend Martha and I used to just go absolutely nuts trying to, you know, get a lot of this stuff sorted out. Um, and in the end, somehow everything kind of came together. So we kind of look back on the whole experience because it was never a a smooth ride. And they would say, well, that's, that's the Leela. That's the Leela of the guru. Um, and in a certain respect, that also relates to, um, the name Lalita because, um, a lot of these sort of, it's funny because in this case, the trickster element, this sort of sense of being, being hit by the chaotic or the unexpected is more like an act of play. It's like, you know, it's like a, like a cosmic joke as it were. And so, and, and, but not only are the unexpected things, but everything else is just part of that play. This is how there's a role you play. There's a Dharma you have. There's, you know, you, that, that's your game piece. That's who you are. And, um, so Lalita is the goddess who plays, and you know she's manifest in every person. But as we act out the dramas of our lives and the different things that go on, it's um, it's all Lalita. So there's this this so there's this even though it has to do with being lovely and being delicate, there's also this kind of tricksterish um, element to the name Lalita. 
Now, um, another name of her um, is Sodashi. Okay. Now, Sodashi I find to be rather interesting because there's there's the way the story appears on the surface, and then there's probably what the deeper meaning is. But nonetheless, I, I find that it can still have a connotation that's. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what I think about the connotation. So, okay, so Dashi has to do with six, being 16. Um, now, there's a couple of stories. I mean, the name actually means 16. So let's let's uh, look at these stories here. Okay. Um, so let me find my uh, thing on this. Okay. Um, so David Kinsley talks about a temple uh, to um, Ham, uh, Hamseshvari Devi, uh, which is an ep- another epithet of Tripura Sundari in the village of Bansberia near Hugli in Bengal. The temple is six stories tall, and the central image is of Tripura Sundari, who sits on a lotus that emerges from the navel of Shiva, who is reclining on another lotus that in turn rests on an image of the Sri Chakra. There are 15 black lingams in the temple and a 16th that is white. The 16th may symbolize Tripura as Sundari as Sodashi, she who is the 16th, the one who goes beyond or includes the 15 lunar titis or, or days. Um, the, uh, temple also has three staircases, one on the right, an image, another on the left, and the third descending into the temple. Okay. Um, yeah, so this idea of her as the 16th and this kind of, um, lunar connection to that. Um, let me tell you the actual story first, okay? And I'm going to tell you what I think about that, and then we're going to look at the, um, the lunar part of it in a minute. Okay. So this is Kinsley again. He says, in many ways, she remembers Kali, is whom she is sometimes identified. Uh, there's even a myth explaining the identity of Tripura Sundari and Kali. In the Pranatoshini, <clears throat> probably written in Bengal in the 17th century, we are told that once upon a time, Shiva referred to Kali by her name in front of some heavenly damsels who would come to visit, calling her Kali. Kali, meaning blackie, blackie. Okay, in other words, she's, she's the black one, which she took to be a slur against her dark complexion. She left Shiva and resolved to rid herself of her dark complexion through aestheticism. Now, this is the part I have a hard time with. It's just kind of like, you know, <clears throat> does that represent an impurity or a pollution of some kind? And, and But that's one of those relationships to darkness that we have to think about um, that we automatically associate and probably wrongly. But um, it says, later the sage Narada visited uh Kailasha, and seeing Shiva alone, asked where his wife was. Shiva complained that she had abandoned him and vanished. With his yogic powers, Narada discovered Kali living north of Mount Sumeru and went there to see if he could convince her to return to Shiva. He told her that Shiva was thinking of marrying another goddess and that she should turn turn at once to prevent this. By now, Kali had rid herself of her dark complexion but did not yet realize it. Arriving in the presence of Shiva, she saw a reflection of herself with a light complexion in Shiva's heart. Thinking this was another goddess, she became jealous and angry. Shiva advised her to look more carefully with the eye of knowledge, telling her that what she saw in his heart was herself. The story ends with Shiva saying to the transformed Kali, as you have assumed a very beautiful form, beautiful in the three worlds, your name will be Tripura Sundari. You shall always remain 16 years old and be called by the name Sodashi. Okay, so now we're talking about 16 as the age, and we're talking about this idea of a black goddess who turns white. Um, Now, okay, so what could be the meaning of that beyond the obvious meaning, which I just find to be a little bit disturbing? Um, Mainly, too, because in India, I think as I've mentioned, there seems to be a kind of... um, 
and it's not just in India, it's in other places in Asia, um, where there tends to be a, um, a prejudice against darker skinned Indians or da- da- other darker skinned people, the people who are, are considered to be um, the most intelligent or the most, you know, the, the ones who are endowed with or the ones or the ones who are considered to have potential or the ones with lighter skin. And this I just find to be, you know, I mean, we can look at colonialism. The fact that this is the 17th century, uh, well, that's really more the 1600s. So that's certainly before the British come. Um, but there seems to be this idea of this lightness is somehow being, um, you know, a divine status or preferable in some fashion. And uh, that's, this is one of those associations that you want to be careful to not unconsciously um, project outwards onto people. You know what I mean? I mean, we, it's there, but um, it, it may not mean what it appears to mean. So um, if we look at this um, lunar meeting, okay. Um, okay, so let me just find the beginning of this. Okay, <clears throat> now, now Kinsley says the name um, Sodashi seems to be of less interest to commentators, but there's some speculation on its hidden significance. Literally, the name means she who is 16. It is common for deities to be described as eternally 16 years old, which is considered to be the most beautiful and vigorous human age. Like, crud, I remember 16. I don't think that was quite true. But anyway, um, this is exactly how the name is interpreted in the myth recounted above, in which Shiva renames the transformed Kali both Tripura Sundari and Sodashi. The name is understood to mean she who has 16 good qualities. More esoterically, the name can mean the 16th or she who is the 16th. In this case, it probably refers to the phases of the moon, the lunar titis, in which there are 15 in the bright lunar half of the month, the Shukla Paksha, and 15 in the dark half, the Krishna Paksha. These titis are often personified as goddesses. As the 16th, Sodashi is that which is beyond the phases or the rhythms of time. Or she may be understood as the additional element that lends the individual titis under the impetus to wax and wane, the reality that underlies cosmic rhythms and impels the cosmos along an orderly course. As the cusp of the lunar phases, she is the mysterious element that transcends and yet encompasses all things. The addition of a 16th element to establish set of 15 is analogous to the addition of a fourth element to establish triads. The 16th element deliberately plays on the symbolism of plus one, that is a set of three or 15 plus one more element. The 16th element, like the fourth in a set of threes, subsumes and encompasses all the others as well as completes the symbolic pattern of meanings. So she is within the these triads, and she's also the extra one, you know, this the 16th, this, this fourth one. And then also, <clears throat> with regard to phases of the moon, to me, that would almost make her, you know, the moon at its fullest point, which would explain the whiteness, because the moon in its other phases is dark, or at least partially dark. So th- this could be like sort of a literal representation of that in, in some kind of a form. So there's there's that aspect of it. So it's it's important to to pay attention to that and not to get hung up on, um, you know, it, it's, you know, there's, there's the, there's, there's what the apparent meaning that might strike you when you first read it. Um, and then there's, you know, what's behind it. And that's something I feel is true of anything, any kind of mythology, you know, the apparent meaning, which may be, um, socially shocking to us, um, probably has another meaning that is, um, you know, that is beyond that. So I think that's true in this case. <clears throat> okay, um, so let me, um, I think I did not talk about Sri Rajeshwadi, but that that's mainly a term, there's not any specific mythology that I can find that's related to Rajeshwadi, unless it's the same goddess um, called by that name, 
Um, <clears throat> they talk, um, Kinsley talks about the, um, the temples of uh, Sri Rajay Rajeshwari. And um, he mentions, uh, and it, you know, there is one, there's actually one up in upstate New York, um, which I've had pujas done for me there before in the past. Um, but he talks about ones in India. He talks about in Varnashi, there's a temple to Rajay Rajeshwari. Um, and this is, this is interesting. It says she, it's said that she has the power to attract people and that one can feel the pull of her strength when taking her darshan, which, which in this case would be viewing her image, although darshan could, you know, um, being basically in the presence of the goddess. No one is strong enough to spend the night in her temple. And after a while, she drives people crazy who stay in her presence. That's interesting. Uh, Her priests do not last long. I was told that she is an unmarried goddess, but there is a lingam outside her temple suggesting the presence of Shiva. Okay. Um, now, yeah, so there's this idea that, you know, well, think about that, being in the presence of Shri Rajay Rajeshwari or Lalita Pripura Sundari for too long can drive you crazy. And it's almost because... Um, if, there, if I could think of a reason for that, now perhaps the people in the temple would be better be able to say what's making them crazy, but it's just that the energy around her is so potent. If you're around that kind of an energy, it's almost like it starts dissolving you in some way. And it, it becomes very hard to kind of keep yourself together in a structure. I remember periods I had a very, very intense meditation where I used to sit very close to the guru, um, or I was you know privileged to do so for long periods of time, uh, doing whatever work I was doing. And you do. There's kind of this sense that goes through your body. It's like a radiance, um, which is very blissful in some ways, but it's almost like it's it's breaking you apart in some ways. And it, and it can make you crazy. This is what I'm saying. You go to the programs. Um, whenever I go to my guru's programs, I mean, there's the guru herself and her swamis, but the people around her are absolute fucking nutters. I mean, they're just, I mean, it's to the point that, you know, okay, I mean, and this is not just my experience. This is the experience of other people where you, you go to some, you know, Amma asks you to do something, and then you go to somebody and say, you know, Namashivaya, Amma would like me to do this. And they go, well, I don't really want to help you with this. And they don't even know you. They're just like, I already don't like you and don't want to help you. You know, I mean, there's people, these are people from her ashram who act like this, and you're just kind of like, okay. Um, and this is the experience of a lot of people. Um, I felt really bad for someone who had been in the satsang group I'd belonged to. She, I remember she was so excited to work the program. She was so delighted, to thrilled to be in the, the presence and to be able to serve and to, and I remember by the day two, I just saw her in the corner crying her eyes out. I'm like, yeah, people here are absolute, absolute rat bastards. And um, I have some other stories, too, I won't get into because they just make me really angry. Um, but the absolute drama and competitiveness, and I mean, you just, just to a level that you would not expect from a spiritual group. But it's that craziness, it's that dissolution that comes from being in the presence of that all the time. It's like, it, it can make you, it doesn't necessarily, you know, um, I remember uh, my, one of my former bosses used to live next door to somebody who um, worked for the Dalai Lama. And he said, she's supposed to be peaceful. She's always angry and she's always upset about stuff. I'm like, that's not how it works. <laughs> Following a spiritual path is anything but, you know, um, one long continuous um, strand of bliss. You're lucky if you, usually you start out that way, which is what tracks you to the path in the first place. Then it's like, oh, everything falls apart from here. So, you know, that it's, yeah, uh, the path is is rarely um, blissful or easy. So, um, and that may be reflected there. Um, now, again, I'm just um, sort of doing some final reflections here. Uh, the Sri Chakra and Sri Vidya itself I discuss in that separate podcast, so I'm not going to talk about that symbolism again here. Um, in summary, though, the Sri Chakra represents the universe <clears throat> and the erotic creation of the universe that takes place at the center. 
Um, and of course, this would be the goddess as Kameshvari, as the one, as the creator, because the Sri Chakra is sort of an, you know, it's 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 a, um, it's a geometric figure, but it represents um, this sort of erotic creation that that takes place at the center. Um, and again, I also discussed Lalita Sahasranama, um, the thousand names, in a separate podcast. Um, but that is also a very powerful stotra, and um, the sections of it do tell the story of um, Lalita Tripura Sundari um, in different <clears throat> different facets of her, and you know, different you know, kind of grouping different qualities of her. So um, that's something that's uh, if if you know. And I think I have said this before, but I remember um, a, a Brahmin woman telling me once, she says, if you recite, she asked me like what kind of prayers I had said. And I said, well, I recite the Lalita every day. And I remember she looked at me, her eyes, she says, oh, she says, if you do Lalita every day, she says, nothing bad will ever happen to you. And I said, okay, you know, I mean, you know, if you can take that, you can believe that or not. I mean, I, I, I can, I kind of see it because I kind of feel like it's not that nothing bad ever happens, but I don't know. There's always a tendency that in the chaos that you land on your feet, it's the same thing. So um, it's, and whether I can attribute it to that or not, I mean, who knows, you know, I mean, if you want to look at it objectively, right, and, and analytically, but I can't help but to feel that if I compare periods of time when I've recited it to when I haven't, um, there, there is a real difference in, um, I don't know, there just seems to be a difference in, in a lot of things that, that's hard for me to, to quantify, but um, I, I do feel that I'm, I'm in a better place for, for doing that. Um, okay, so again, just kind of in addition with Kali and Tara, she sort of represents this complete vision of reality in that, that order. Remember, we had talked about the order of the Mahavidyas. She's actually technically the third. So she's that, she completes the initial triad. There's another triad of Kali, Tara, and um, uh, Tripura Sundari as the first three Mahavidyas. So, um, <clears throat> and it occurs to me that all of these um, names, these syllables, these mantras, she represents something outside of categories and speech and has a hard time keep, and, and I have, you know, uh, and I have a hard time keeping up with her nature. It's very hard to, the, 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 these, all these, these descriptions, these sounds, these, these names, they're, they're, it's a difficult to keep up with exactly what she is. It's a way of trying to, um, put into sound, to put into word, and to put into image something that's really well beyond all of that, okay, that represents a force that's well beyond all of that. Um, I find it hard to wrap my mind around everything that she represents. Um, but the but the mantras and, of course, the Sri Chakra, the visual yantra, um, is, you know, even, like, it's true, even if you even just looking at the Sri Chakra, it's like it, you, it, it there's something that you can feel, um, and that you can understand without having to analyze or evaluate it. There's just something about it. And again, same thing with reciting the mantras. Um, I was thinking about it last night. Because some days I'm more attentive to my um, recitation than others. Sometimes I just play it in the background while I'm doing other things. But last night I sat down and I actually recited the entire thing. And, and it's hard to explain the vibration that goes through your body when you do that. I mean, she represents something, um, some kind of a something, you know, something that's beyond all of our thoughts and our interpretations. Um, now, I also have noted that uh, the vibrations and sounds, they attract the right, they sort of attract, um, I don't know, the right outcome, the right action. You know, when I say right, I mean just right for that situation. Um, it, yeah, the mantra is like a magnet, and that was kind of a way that she was also described, that her image and her worship is like a magnet. It's like, you're kind of riveted to it. 
and, um, you know, just as receiving the darshan, being in the presence of that image. Um, so they, yeah, so they, it's sort of like doing that sort of attracts all the right things that you need for your, your life. You know, whether they be what you consider positive or negative, it attracts the right things for your life. Okay. And, um, and, but, and again, both in Tantric Hinduism and traditional, uh, Lalita Tripurasundari is the ultimate reality and one of the most powerful goddesses in whom you can take refuge. Um, so with that, I am going to end this week's podcast. Um, and again, I will point you to, as always, to kathonia.net um, to get, you know, the full list of podcasts uh, and to see other work that I'm doing um, and also to catch up on my other series, which is uh, Liminal Tarot. I hope some of you will catch up on that if you're on YouTube, um, along with the um, visual versions of these podcasts. And, um, you know, and then, of course, if you're interested in supporting my work, uh, there's patreon.com slash Chthonia. If you just want to make a one-time donation, Chthonia.net does have a PayPal donate button. So there, that is there as well. And any contributions will be appreciated, especially right now when I'm, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're in the middle of finding out whether we're all going to lose our jobs. So it uh, would be... You know, the more the more I could do with this at this time, the more helpful that would be. Um, so it's uh, so again, you know, and check us out. Check me out social media, Cathonia uh, or Cathonia podcast. Um, one word on Instagram and Twitter, two words on Facebook and just Cathonia on YouTube. Um, and take care of yourself and we'll I'll talk to you in the next episode. <laughs>